This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 524 of the Stable Scoop Show on the Horse Radio Network. It's the Equestrian Roundtable Show in cooperation with American Horse Publications. Our sponsor this episode is Purina Equine Sr., I am Glenn DeGeek, founder of the Horse Radio Network and host of Horses in the Morning, the longest-running daily horse podcast in the world. And we have an anniversary coming up. Actually, November 1st is our anniversary. We started in 2010, so on November 2nd, we're going into our 12th year with a daily show. That's pretty extraordinary for the podcast world. Welcome to the Equestrian Roundtable, and we are excited to have you here uh, we are also excited that we are now broadcasting on the American Horse Publications Facebook page as well. So hello to all the fellow members out there. It was good to see you all in Dallas here last month. I will be your host and moderator, and I do have opinions, as most of you know. But I'm going to try and let the panelists uh, do most of the talking tonight. Uh, I'll jump in when needed. Uh, if you were watching live, uh, welcome. Be aware that if you can't watch the whole thing live, that's fine, because the recorded version of this will be out on the Stable Scoop podcast feed on any podcast player, and that'll be out tomorrow. So you get to catch the rest of it if you don't get to see the whole thing tonight. Tonight's topics include gambling, bitless competing, and horse resources. And I'd like to introduce our panel tonight. I am so excited about that. First, we're going to bring up the original Equinista. Her name is L.A., and I, she has been around AHP for about a thousand years, I think, L.A. Yeah, I, I think possibly the uh, Paleolithic uh, era. And and congratulations on coming into your 12th year. Uh, does that Does that mean you're going to be entering radio puberty? <laughs> I think we're beyond that, actually. <laughs> That's funny. I'll mention that to Jamie. <laughs> LA, you have been a member, though, of HP, seriously, for about, what, 30 years? Yeah, yeah. When I was uh, wrapping up my equine business management degree at Johnson & Wales University, um, I thought that a great way to be professionally networking. I, I stepped into a job with the PR department for the U.S. equestrian team and to expand my professional network and, heck, make the kind of horsey friends that I, I wanted in my career. Uh, the first thing I did was become a member with uh, the American Horse Publications, and it's just been the the sweetest, uh, grandest group of people, uh, such a, a supportive and creative, professional uh, atmosphere. Uh, I've, I've never regretted it. it it's a, a great, great place to be. And uh, is, are those some of your awards behind you on the wall there? From uh... I, Yeah, possibly. <laughs> I thought so. I thought I recognized some of them back there. Press club one might be thrown in there or, uh, as well, but uh, uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I've been around a while. Stamina, like with any good sport horse, you know, is a key ingredient. If you can just stick around, you'll place more often. <laughs> I think we're just too old and stubborn to quit, is what it comes down to. I think that's part I don't of it. Know how to do anything else now? So <laughs> that's true. Um, so uh, next up, we have uh, somebody who's been coming on our shows, I think, since day one, uh, way, way back. And that's Julie Broadway, who is president of the American Horse Council. Hi, Julie. 
Hi, thanks for having me this evening. I'm really excited about this conversation. Lots of good topics to discuss. And I, LA and I are old time friends and I'm excited about reconnecting with her. I've been an AHP member for probably 20 years and it's such a great network and a great opportunity to just, you know, have conversations with lots of people from lots of different breeds and disciplines and interest levels and those kinds of things. And Julie, uh, I she she always hates it when I call her the big boss because she's the president of the American Horse. <laughs> I loved calling her the big boss. I just think that's fun because she hates and, it so much. And, and I tell you all the time, at our organization, we're small, we're lean, we all have to pitch in, roll up our sleeves, do whatever we do. So big boss means nothing. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of that way here too, actually. Uh, when you run your own company, that's what it means. You just do you, everything. You do yeah. what you got to do. Th that's right. <laughs> well, next up, we are going to meet one of our uh, terrific listeners and auditors. An auditor is like a super fan of the Horse Radio Network. And we have about 500 of them. And Elizabeth is one of those. Hi, Elizabeth. Hi. Thanks for having me. Elizabeth, where are you at? I am right outside of Frederick in Maryland. Oh, cool. Yeah, we were there. Yes, I almost I almost made it to your uh, uh, party at Jacqueline Burke's, but my in-laws were in town. So. Oh, well, you should have come. You would have had a better time. <laughs> I, I, believe me. <laughs> I, I, hope I can't say I, anything else at this point. I hope yeah. they're not watching this. <laughs> I they are. They are. But yeah, no, I had every intention of coming and then. That was our biggest went. meetup when we did the road show in Maryland at Jacqueline's. I think we had about 30 people there at her Oh, farm. yeah. It broke my heart listening to it because I was like, oh, my husband would have been totally in on all those games and we yeah. would have had a good time. But next it was time. a lot of fun. That was that was a great stop there in Maryland. And she, by the way, let's congratulate her. She might she be baby. listening to this. She had her she was very pregnant when we were there, and now she had her baby, so little boy. So congratulations, like a couple days ago. So congratulations yeah. to Jacqueline Burke. All right, guys, we're going to get started. We're going to start with the first question. Now, the way this works is the panelists all pick their own topics, and then we discuss them. So. Because I have ADD, and I found out Elizabeth does too, uh, we don't like sticking on one topic very long. So this is a perfect uh, scenario for me because every couple, every about 10 minutes, we're moving on. We're going on to the next topic, and that's about my attention span. So uh, let's start with L.A., who came up with one of the most fun topics we've had in a while. Uh, so L.A., why did you pick this topic and tell everybody what it is? Well, the, the, the topic is gambling on Grand Prix show jumping, what are the odds? Because, uh, you, you know, maybe, maybe it's a little bit of a, a light bulb moment, but uh, we see horse racing has been part of, of uh, uh, gambling. In fact, horse racing is one of the most popular and approved types of gambling any place in the world, including the United States. And before I go further, a little bit of a history lesson. Did you know that horses, horse racing, and gambling were part of the American Revolution? No. The 13 colonies, and including the construction of Jamestown, were funded by the colonists ran lotteries. Lotteries essentially gambling, and the pots and what was won went back into the community to help build and strengthen and, uh, and, and establish what we know is early America. Well, the British crown didn't like the idea of the lotteries and the lotteries of course included horse racing. 
So the British Crown told the colonists, you can't hold these lotteries anymore. And that became one of the issues of contention that led to the American Revolution. So it really wasn't tea. It was the fact that we couldn't gamble anymore. That sounds like America right there. We could not gamble on fast horses and fast times anymore. And, and we, we were hugely affronted by it. That makes more sense now. But tea was a good cover story. Yeah, it's all coming together. But, but, but you, you, you fast forward, uh, bookmakers didn't pay taxes. So by the turn of uh, the 19th century, bookmakers were bad. But then paramutual betting, which was actually introduced at the Kentucky Derby, was good because a portion of the purse would go into the state coffers. So governments thought paramutual wagering was was okay. Now, fast forward to today and paramutual, um, the concern is, is that it's stagnant. The horse racing industry for the past couple of years, past maybe decade, um, has been sitting at about $11 billion a year uh, in overall handle. Meanwhile, there's something called fixed uh, betting. Fixed odds think, betting. Yes, fixed odds betting. And in one month alone, in September alone, New Jersey, with its sports books that are now available with fixed odds betting, brought in over a billion dollars. Wow. So bring this all back around to show jumping. Uh, horse racing needs a boost. Um, racing is not tied to casinos. Uh, the same way. Decoupling has actually, I think it was the president of the Standard Bread Owners Association has said decoupling is the ex existential threat, not only to racing, but to agricultural industries. So we need to boost racing. We have this new type of betting, uh, the, the fixed odds, which doesn't work on the same platform as paramutual. So it's opening up a whole lot of new opportunities and possibilities. And let's face it, show jumping is as easy to understand as racing. Whoever goes around the course the fastest and knocks down the least amount of obstacles wins. We have Calcutta's already in uh, barrel racing, uh, show jumping, and in uh, uh, some show jumping events and in raining. So why can't we take that up to the next notch and then use a portion of that money for things like, well, addressing suicide rates among veterinarians, um, rescue rehab programs, re retirement for horses. If we need to find cash, why don't we think about expanding our definition of what gambling on horses means? Anybody thoughts? I'm so intrigued with this, you know, at the American horse council, it's where I work. You know, we, we deal with a lot of gambling and racing issues. Um, and I just think she's onto something and there could be some potential there. Um, and the, the concept's not that far out. Um, it's just a matter of opening people's minds to the ideas that, you know, there's some, there are other forms of gambling that could be done in other aspects of the horse industry. 
And with the online sports betting books now, where mm-hmm. you can do it online, and, and everybody's betting on every other sport. I mean, if you think about it, almost every sport you can bet on now in the sports books. And I did see an article uh, recently about this LA. So this is not a unique concept. I did see an article about betting on show jumping. I, uh, you know, it's starting to be discussed, and literally just hours before this show, uh, an announcement by an international gambling uh, group called SIS. Uh, data and content is investing in a U.S. subsidiary, uh, subsidiary rather, uh, specifically to focus on uh, new opportunities with with fixed for horse racing and esports, which mm-hmm. are two that I guess are the biggest challenges mm-hmm. to kind of get around wagering uh, regulations. But they think that there's more opportunity, that there's billions of dollars in opportunity, especially since right now, no U.S. sporting app includes horse racing. And and you have the leader here at SIS saying that's a race to the bottom if a sports app doesn't even see you as a sport. Well, I also think it's appealing, L.A., that it opens a new marketing avenue for the whole, you know, show jumping world. I mean, people who come to bet on one thing but get intrigued with another betting opportunity suddenly get exposed to a new sports. That's what sports betting did to a lot of sports that Mm -hmm. people wouldn't normally be involved with. If we could showcase show jumping to a new audience, that would be awesome. Hey, Elizabeth, would you bet on uh, McLean Ward or Laura Kraut? Are you going to get into this one? So, you know, I I don't know. I I don't gamble. I don't, I mean, I I just don't follow that. But I can tell you trying to drag my husband to any event, like he's all about the show jumping because it's a score. Mm -hmm. Sports, Mm -hmm. And so, and and we did watch watch cross country last weekend at Fair Hill. You know, and he was like, this I can get into dressage, not so much because it's not necessarily a competition, but watching show jumping and being able to kind of, I guess, follow it a little bit better. Um, You know, my my, just playing devil's advocate. So, you know, there are a lot of people in the equine industry that are vehemently opposed to racing just because of uh, the reputation it has on welfare of the horses and the horses that don't make it. Um, So not that I'm saying that, but how would you, like, what would be your answer to that, you know, to not get uh, pushback from the other people and how that, you know, the betting on show jumping would benefit, you know, the the money raised or profited would benefit people. I know you had said that you had mentioned a couple. Oh, sure. Sure. I, I, I think between the mega size equestrian centers that we now have. We have we have larger venues than ever. And I think Kentucky just announced that it's building um, a new racetrack. I think there's gonna be two sites for it. Uh, imagine if we could showcase the American thoroughbred, both as a racehorse and as a show jumping athlete yeah. at one venue. And as far as the concerns about welfare, imagine if we could bring in enough money that we could bump the purses up a year or two. I personally would love to see the Kentucky Deer. I would like to see the Triple Crown offered for five or six-year-olds. Uh, you know, I, seven is when the plates really close. I, I, I'd love to have seven as a cutoff. Yeah. But if we could just, if we had the money 
and the paradigm shift yeah. to be able to put behind a, a goal like that. Because really, all, all racing is doing is following the money. So if we can bump that up and have five-year-olds in a triple crown instead of three-year-olds, yeah. and then we transition them, transition them over uh, into show jumping, and, and even spectators could still follow the horses that, that they saw at one point in their career, and then they could keep following them in through another. And we could, we could make a really more cohesive uh, character. So uh, I, I, think, I think we could, I, I think we could counter any of those concerns. And it's the same concerns that people have with three day. You know, I've, right. I've been on courses where horses have dropped dead of a heart attack, yeah. you know, mid jump. Uh, it, it's, it's never good. Um, but, but you're right. If there is going to be gambling, it's going to be show jumping and rodeo. Yeah. Those two rodeo is also easy to follow. Right. Yeah. So, you know, uh, most of the events in rodeo, you know, are easy to follow and you can, you can have, and everybody has their favorite, you know, Bronx and all of that stuff. So uh, those two are, are, are really the two that are easy dressage and even raining. It takes too long. People are, yeah. If you're <laughs> not a horse person, even if you yes. are a horse person, plus, like you need that winner quicker, right? I mean, so you, you can't sit through a whole day of dressage. You know, people need that winner in a class that lasts an hour. It's done, and I won or I didn't, right? right. When you're betting, right. that's what you want. You want that immediate satisfaction, or you want that immediate disappointment. Well, you don't want that, but you, you get that most of the time. Oh, yes, there's, okay. a show jumping, I, there's a show jumping Calcutta that was held just last year, uh, the, an event called Black Tie No Tail. Mm -hmm. uh, that benefits the New Orleans city parks. Oh. So they've they've got they've got a, a, a and big explain job. a Calcutta for those that don't know what that is. A, a, a Calcutta is um, an a gambling auction. People first bid on each of the contestants, and a winning bidder then quote unquote owns that contestant or horse for the event and then those uh then the competitors then then the winning winning uh competitor uh is owned by the winning bidder and the purse is then that the complete purse of everyone who bid on it then is divided amongst the top so it's more of an auction uh but Everybody gets to gamble at first, but only a limited, only the top bidders get into the final contest. Gotcha. So, Glenn, I was just going to throw in that L.A.'s original idea about some of the proceeds going to something to benefit the industry, I think, has a lot of promise there. I can rattle off whether it's the Equine Disease Communication Center, whether it's help funding equine research. There's a number of you know, sort of industry initiatives that benefits the overall industry, that something like that could really help underpin, you know, and, and really help underwrite some of the things that needs to get done. It, and it let's really face it, Elizabeth, hate, colonial lottery. Mm -hmm. haters are going to hate. You're going to have a certain amount that are going to like this idea no matter what, right? Uh, so, no, yeah, I, yeah, like I said, I'm just always playing devil's advocate. But I mean, No, I, I agree. That's why I'm, certainly should. I would do it especially like, you know, I'm an animal person. So I'm like, oh, well, this is for the greater good. Sign my check, you know? Like, that's, how you can sell it. that's how you can sell it to the husband. <laughs> yeah, like, this is benefiting, this is, you know? And then like, but I do think um, just being married to someone who obsesses over sports, 
like it would reach people outside, like people, mm -hmm. cause like before we got married, he stupidly said to me, well, writing's not a sport. So I promptly put him <laughs> <up there. laughs> He didn't know what he said. Yeah, it was really dumb. He's never said it again. I bet. <laughs> well, you know, Elizabeth, that's that that's that's a really important point. We we always have to be looking to be growing the grassroots. Yeah. And, and get other and people involved. In, you know, as crass as it is the meat in the seats. And if yeah. we can get your your husband to you know feel like he's got literally got a little bit more skin in the game yeah. because you know he's he's got some money riding on uh, on on McLean or uh, or Beasy or whatever uh, I I don't think that's a bad thing in the big picture yeah no, okay. I think non horse people would would be drawn to it it's exciting mm -hmm. to watch. Um, I only have one request, and then we'll have to go on to the next question. One request, and make the pro racing programs, make the show jumping program easier to read than the racing program. Oh. <laughs> and then a larger font. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Don't get me started about the complexities of an exacto and all those other things that come with a racing program. That's right. Oh, so, I, yeah, I, if we could. I, I, my, fav my favorite is, uh, they, they call me, the. it's called the bridge jumper. And, and that is you put your money on the third place horse, the show horse, because then whether they finish first, second or third, you get a little bit of, of the percentage off of that. <laughs> and, and so if you're a good if you have a good eye for a horse, you know, I can usually pick that good equitation horse. It's going to be in the middle of the pack, not necessarily the winners. So being a bridge jumper is the way to bet. To bet. <laughs> <laughs> All right. On that, we'll leave that go. Well, that was fun. I, I you know, that. I, we're going to hear more about this. There's no question. This yeah. is going to come up again, and this is going to and rodeo. I actually think rodeo is going to be the first place we see it. I actually think that they do some of it now in in Vegas. They gamble a little bit on rodeo, so I think rodeos where we're going to see it first, and then the next jump will be over. Show jumping would be the next thing. Rodeo uh, has already made sure its cowboys look like NASCAR drivers. Yep, you know, they're, they're covered with sponsorships. Mm. I always say the Western side makes a hell of a lot more money than the English side. They do. <laughs> they do. No question. All right, let's hear. Speaking of making money, let's hear about our sponsor, and uh, we're happy to have Purina as the sponsor. You have an older horse that's trying to age gracefully. Trust the future with your old friend to the number one equine vet recommended senior feed. Purina Equine Senior and Senior Active Horse Feeds are backed by unparalleled research to support the unique needs of horses as they age. Both patented feeds include active age prebiotic technology to support immune function, mobility, and appropriate metabolic response in aging horses. Plus, now with the Outlast supplement built in, they also support your horse's gastric health and comfort. Purina Animal Nutrition, they're years ahead in senior research, so you can have more good years with your horse. Put their research to the test at horseinnovation.com. That's horseinnovation.com. Well, now, Julie, we're up next with your question or topic you wanted to talk about. What was that? So I'm really interested in getting people's feedback and reaction. At the American Horse Council, we have a lot of folks that are contacting us very nervous about climate change and how it has affected hay prices. They're a little bit anxious about what the fall and winter is going to bring as far as their financial obligations. Uh, we were talking pre-show about how we're seeing rising prices in a lot of areas, whether they're 
part of our industry or not. Um, and so I thought it would be a good conversation to have about, you know, what resources are available out there to horse owners who find themselves in a difficult circumstance. We want people to hang on to their horses, keep them at home and be able to, you know, be that responsible horse owner. But suddenly if they find themselves between a rock and a hard place and they need a hay bank or they need feed coupons or whatever it is they need, you know, how do they find those things? So that's really my topic is what's out there for folks who are searching for those kinds of resources, whatever they might be. So tell us what is out there. So a I think some great things are out there. So Home for Every Horse in Purina, who is our great sponsor here, offer feed coupons. You have to uh, apply to get those feed coupons, but they're great uh, resources. They come out in the spring and in the fall, and people really appreciate those. Um, there's Vet Direct through AAEP. So if you have a need for some veterinary care, veterinarians have signed up to be part of Vet Direct, and you can get some discounts on some of your vet services. Um, we have a lot of states that offer, and state horse councils that offer hay banks, and they offer um, farrier services and other things that are out there. So there's a lot of different ways to go about it. And I was sharing pre-show about people call us all the time and they find themselves in a circumstance and they say, I really don't want to surrender this horse to somebody. And I really don't want to have to put it down, but I need some help. And what are my options? Um, so, you know, I, I, there's lots of ways to go about it. And I think you just have to figure out what the network is. And that's what the United Horse Coalition is all about, or Home for Every Horse, or Equus Foundation. And heaven forbid, some people don't like them, but ASPCA has some great programs um, and others. So lots of different ways to go about it. How concerned are you are on a national level? I mean, you're there in Washington. You're hearing this all the time. How are you, How much are you concerned about inflation? It's you know, I've seen in the last three days, we've been, and Elizabeth will vouch for this, I've been preaching the inflation thing for the last year that it's going to be an issue. And now we're starting to see the mainstream press really focusing on how high inflation actually is. And it's much higher than than people thought. Is it a concern that we're going to see a lot of people not being able to afford their horses? I don't know if I'm going to be too alarmist about it, Glenn, but I do think we are sensitive about it. Um, we are seeing increases, like I said, hay prices for one. We're seeing fuel prices. Uh, we're seeing other kinds of things that are sort of um, choices that people are going to have to make. If I've got to choose between, you know, feeding my family or getting to my job by driving my car versus, you know, doing a certain kind of preventative care to my horse, like a worming or something like that, people have to, you know, make those tough decisions. And that's what we're here for at the United Horse Coalition, is, which is part of the American Horse Council, is to help people find ways to navigate, you know, those kinds of things and help them figure out how to find what they need um, and, and get those kinds of services to avoid having to surrender horses. If you're watching live right now, I'd be interested to know what, what your gas and diesel prices are where you live. And say where you are, what state or wherever you are, and what your prices are. I noticed here, I mean, gas uh, along the highway here is at three fifty, and diesel's at almost $4 here in Ocala, Florida now. And Elizabeth, you said before the show, you were just in California. It was ridiculous out there. It's always ridiculous out there. But... 525. <laughs> I didn't look at diesel because I we had a car. Well, that means it was six, right? Yeah, I mean, exactly, yeah. yeah. Holy cow. I, I, think LA, diesel, thoughts? I think diesel was about 475 uh, around most of the truck stops between Chicago and uh, Dillon, Montana. 
for the conference uh, out there. And, and, and I will say that uh, the most uh, upsetting and terrifying thing was driving across the Midwest and seeing how burnt and dry the corn and the fields and, and the hay were. Uh, if you, if Glenn, if you were talking about inflation on the horizon line uh, months ago, I was already concerned about what the prices are going to be for uh, grain as well as, as hay. I, I think uh, uh, the climate uh, and what happened this summer, uh, to see it with my own eyes was, was really terrifying. We live in Florida, so we see, always see the highest prices for hay, too. <laughs> it's always a lot higher down here. Uh, so, yeah, we, I, we were a little nervous about that. Elizabeth, what, you know, just in, let's go away from horses a little. Let's talk about everything else. Uh, you know, have you seen, what's, what are the things you've seen going up the highest in your life, in your everyday life? Um, I, I said gas. Um, groceries, just commodities, just uh, feeding a family of four, you know, grocery bill and not being extravagant is, you know, 250 at a minimum. Um, daycare prices for any of us that have kids, uh, riding lessons. What do you pay uh, for daycare? I don't have kids, so I have no I idea what that costs. I do not pay much. Um, okay. He's three and it's 250 a week. And that is a bargain. <laughs> See, that like seems a, like a lot. I'm like, I'm like, if anyone's watching this, they're going to be like, who is she? <laughs> um, if you're closer to like DC or a city, you know, we live pretty rurally. Um, now, if he was potty trained, I think it would be a little bit less, but he is a boy and he refuses to <laughs> do what he's told. So, <laughs> um, But some of the like closer, before we moved out here, we lived closer to like Annapolis and a lot of those centers for children under two were between four and 500 a week. Uh, How can you afford that? I don't know. How can anybody afford that? I don't know. And, and then even like we have our, you know, we bought this farm about two years ago and while it's small, it's still a lot of work for, for us city people that decided to get our own place. And I was trying to find a kid to come just help with yard work. I could, I, I said $15 an hour. I couldn't find anyone. I was told you have to do 20 minimum to get anyone to come out and help you. And I live in the middle of nowhere. I'm like, mm. I can't pay $20 an hour to a teenager. I don't, like, it's a lot of money. Yeah, I'm a, I am a little concerned about the uh, prices. I mean, it, you know, at some point that causes the rest of the economy to, uh, what we see as a bubble now will pop. I mean, inflation will do that eventually. So, yeah, I mean, I think it is something that we should be concerned about. Fear-mongering, I don't know. You know, I think it's a reality. It's... You know, people forget that the economy goes in cycles. It always has. Mm -hmm. L.A. and Julie, we're old enough to remember those cycles, right? Uh, I remember I graduated in 1980. In 1980, the gas prices were through the roof. Uh, interest rates were 20 percent. Uh, if you got a mortgage, you were paying, you know, 15, 20 percent. Uh, it was just ridiculous. That. Yeah, it was ridiculous. <laughs> so you know, gas lines. I remember my dad, you know, couldn't go to work one day mm -hmm. because it yeah. was only every other day you could get your gas. Um, no. So can you imagine that? Can you imagine telling people they can only get gas every other day now? <laughs> so Glenn, license plate numbers. Yes, exactly. Glenn, I have a prof I have a professional colleague who is predicting he's he's in the uh, equine industry. He's predicting we're going to see the bubble pop in twenty four twenty five. He's 
he's already told me that's what he thinks. He says, I don't think we can keep going. He's talking about housing prices and all these other things that are going up and up. Oh, and up. I think it's going to be for the end of 22. I'm like, okay. I think it's going to be sooner than that. Um, I don't think it'll be that long. I think before the end of 22, we'll see a correction. So, I don't know how big, but. Glenn, the other thing I was going to throw out as we think about, you know, challenges that people have, climate change is causing a lot of unusual weather patterns, whether that be, you know, drought or whether it be a hurricane or uh, whatever it might be. And so I want to really encourage people, make a disaster plan, figure out how you're going to evacuate, um, microchip your horses. We offer free microchips at the United Horse Coalition. Um, we, we really want people to know that you might not um, have the luxury of waiting to figure out how you're going to handle uh, some kind of weather uh, factor that might come your way. So how do they get the free microchips? Uh, they go to our website, which is unitedhorsecoalition.org, and they can sign up and get some free microchips, and we'll mail them off to them. All right. I'll put that in the show notes, too. I'll put yep. a link to that. that. Is so great to know. I didn't yeah. know that. <laughs> I my one horse is microchipped because the breed registry does it, but the other two, I'm like I wouldn't be like my vet offered it for my dog, but I've never had it offered for my other two horses. But it, that makes sense. Why wouldn't I do that? Well, in one of the last big uh, storms that we had, people were having to let their horses loose because they didn't know what they were going to do with them, and they were spray painting some kind of phone number on the side. And of on course, it's pouring down rain, and the paint's running off. And you know, so somebody comes along and finds this horse, but they can't reconnect the owner. In the horse and so we're saying please please microchip your horses so that we can get you back together <laughs> we've been we're, we live in florida we've been through a few of those bug out Ooh. situations <laughs> so yeah we we understand that i've well, never I wanted lived to take any, a, go ahead i was gonna say i've never lived anywhere where i've lost electricity so much and then i've never had a well so when we lose electricity we lose water, mm, water. and that has yep. been that's bad tough terrifying because i have three horses like i'm like my kids will be fine. We've got toilets that are half full, but I'm like, how do I, how do you give water to horses? That's um, the biggest problem we had after Irma here in Florida was yeah, when the power goes out, the well goes out. You don't have out. water. And I've never yeah. had that before. And that, that was really scary. Yep. And we had to go, actually, we had to go find neighbors who had generators. That's the only mm -hmm. way they could run the well was yeah. through the generation. They had to bring big barrels over and fill them up in your truck. And yeah. Yeah. Well, when you're out you eight price, days, that was, yeah. Yeah. Well, if you price generators right now, it's, it's, pretty high yeah i bet <laughs> really high all right let's go on uh we'll get to our final question in a second but first i wanted to talk to all of you a little bit more and have everybody meet you a little bit more uh and also before we do that let's talk a little bit about american horse publications you know what american horse publications is is a group that kind of unites the horse media and it, i guess it used to be writers and journalists for and photographers in the beginning and now they branched out and they have podcasters and uh, social you know we have bloggers and all different kinds of people in the, in the horse world as long as you're in the media of some sort uh, and it's been around for over 50 years they have awards they have uh, programs for youth coming up in in equestrian media um you know all kinds of things like that that are available as a matter of fact uh, one of those youth winners years ago I just hired to help us out at the Horse Radio Network here today. That hasn't even been announced yet. I won't even say her name at this point. But yes, she just signed the agreement today. So, and I met her at AHP. 
So it is a good organization. Go to AmericanHorsePubs.org if you want to find out more about that. All right, let's meet you guys in a little bit more detail. Let's go to L.A. first. So, L.A., what are you working on right now? What's up? Oh, my goodness. Uh, let's see. Right now, I don't want to give too much away, but I'm, I'm working on a very um, exciting piece for the plaid horse which uh, uh, I would say if, if, if it wasn't, that was, it, it, it's sort of a, um, sort of Tiger King meets the hunter jumper industry. <laughs> I love that. And I'm of course, Plaid Horse, the Plaid cast is uh, part of the Horse Radio Network. So uh, yeah. And so that, that one, that one is, uh, is being uh, carefully uh, looked at. And then uh, uh, I did a great piece uh, recently with the founder of the Saratoga Polo School, Mario Dino, who's originally from Buenos Aires, and he's transplanted to part of the year in upstate New York and the other part of the year down in Florida. And he has this amazing kids program because of course, as, as we've all probably noticed during the, uh, uh, this uh, pandemic that uh, riding lessons, lesson bonds have waiting lists. Mm-hmm. Everybody is riding. It's a, it's a real boost. And Mario has this wonderful, wonderful program for young people who get to learn polo. And I actually got to take my first lesson uh, right around my 60th birthday. And it was, oh, jolly good fun. I'll do Did it Did you again. hurt anything? Did you hit your head? Did you come down, whack no. yourself? No. No. Okay, I, 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 I had a, a young horse that uh, spent a little bit of time popping up and giving me some added leverage but uh it, i felt just like being in the maltese cat the the rudyard Kipling <laughs> short story <laughs> well that's great and and uh you know i've i was trying to think before we started this when we met as years ago i i don't even know when i think i, I think i was with equisearch.com Come when you started the radio network. That might have been when Yahoo was popular. I mean, way back when. <laughs> I, I honestly, I honestly can't remember being Western content director with EquiSearch and going online and counting just a little over three hundred websites related to horses and thinking, "Oh, this is easy. If I just check out one a day, you know, I'll know everything that's on the internet in a year." <laughs> well it's good to have you here i'm glad you uh, agreed to do this let's go next julie so what's the american horse council working on right now what what's the hot topic so i'm going to first invite everybody to join us on october the 28th for our annual congressional fly-in we're doing it virtually this year so you can stay home and do it via Zoom, but we have a whole lineup of congressional members that are going to come and talk to us about all the hot topics. So I'm really excited. We're going to hear about the Great American Outdoors Act, which everybody's excited about, how we can expand trails and maintain trails. We're going to hear an update on visa challenges. You know, we use a lot of foreign workers in the horse industry. We need more visas. So how can we go about doing that? Where does that all stand? We're going to have an update on the Prevent All Soaring Tactics Act, the PAST Act, and where that stands and how we think we can navigate forward with that. Why the hell is that not through yet? Oh, it just takes forever on that one. I don't know (laughs) why, but it does. Um, And then a new issue that has just popped up recently is with the Environmental Protection Agency, who's doing a review of some fly spray challenges. 
which has caused some concerns for some folks, but we're on top of it and we're going to hear an update about that. So we've got some folks from USDA and EPA that are going to talk to us. So join us on October 28th to hear all the latest updates on the legislative and regulatory things that are going on. And then my last plug is going to be November the 15th. We're doing our quarterly webinar and our featured guest is the Compton Cowboys. We're going to hear all about who they are, what they do, why they're important, you know, how you can get involved. And I'm just really excited about Randy and his crew joining us for that that webinar. So join us for that and hear some more about it. It fits in really great with our diversity, equality and inclusion task force, which has been really hard at work. So lots to, lots to hear about. And it's horsecouncil.org, right? It is indeed. Mm-hmm. All right. Very good. And I wanted to mention while you're bringing that up, our Horse Illustrated does an episode of Horses in the Morning with us once a month. And next Tuesday, we have the gentleman on, whose name has totally escaped me, who did the new Mustang movie that's out in theaters right now. And uh, we had an unbelievable conversation with him about the whole Mustang issue. And the movie is unbelievable. I mean, the photography is just incredible. Uh, but is that the uh, one with Robert Redford? Yes. Mm -hmm. So if you're into that, join us next Tuesday uh, for Horses in the Morning. It was a really intense conversation about all the different aspects of the problem. And it's very complicated, as Julie knows. It's not not an easy topic to do. But now let's get to a fun thing. Elizabeth. So Elizabeth, what is that your pony? Yes, she's a 16 three-hand Irish draft mare that is very masculine. So everyone says, he's beautiful. It's a girl. He's kind of got a pony look, though, doesn't he? Uh, yeah, well, I'm 5'9 and not small, so. Oh, okay. Feels... So, yeah, but no, she's big. I'm big. We're big girls. Um, and that other guy in the picture, I hope that's your that, husband or I picked that, the wrong one. I don't know. That is my husband. Okay. As of today. I mean, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, no, that's my husband. <clears throat> And um, uh, you have two kids, right? I do. I have a nine-year-old daughter and a three-year-old son. And um, what do you do for a living? I'm a nurse. I manage a surgery center right now. Um, That's a tough field right now, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I could talk forever about the healthcare industry, and I know that my coworkers are not listening to this because uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm the crazy horse girl. Um, but you know, I'm constant, I'm sitting here envious going, these women have made careers out of horses. Where did I go wrong? Like, I feel so, <laughs> I honestly feel really lucky to be sitting here talking to two people that have spent their life in the industry. So and Elizabeth, your husband and my husband should never meet because my husband will tell you that when I didn't have a career in the horse industry and horses were just a hobby, I talked about it endlessly. Now I have a career in it. So it never, ever stops. And he's like, yeah. what? I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> I'm, just, I, I just, I'm like, wow. Like I, I didn't, you know, my, I didn't come from, my family doesn't know about horses, anything. And so it really wasn't, I didn't know that I could make a career out of it. And so I think that's really awesome. Yeah, my I'm primary thinking... uh, care doctor was it rode her whole life, got out of it, and in the course of with her, you know visiting with her, she's like, "Yeah, you know, I'm thinking about getting back into it." I'm like, "Girl, you bet you are!" And yeah. next day, I dropped off a stack of magazines for us, and and the the front desk is like, "What is she into now?" It's like, "No, it's what she's always been into." Yeah, Your doctor is a horse person. <laughs> I had a really um, amazing friend that took my mare when I was pregnant with my son. Um, I, I, open book here, I have depression. And when I was pregnant, my meds changed and I, I couldn't take care of my horse. And she stepped in and, 
and leased her for me until I had my son and could get back together. And it was just like, she's a huge part of my life. And I people step away from it because they have other things in life that are just demanding, but you always find yourself going back there. You know, it's like, no matter how many times life pulls you this way, you're like, and the horses, you know, Mm -hmm. that's the constant, you know, it's one of the best parts of my life. That's why I would live in the country. (laughs) (laughs) You know, what's funny is you were, you were talking about being envious of them. And I was thinking, as you were saying a nurse, what good experience I had with all the nurses I dealt with last year when I was sick and, you know, in and out of the hospital and all that stuff. I just love the nurses that I dealt with there. So God bless you all because I'm glad you're, I'm glad you're there. Well, we, we like like 99% of our patients, you know, most people, yeah. I bet you were a wonderful patient. Some people are not. Nurses are horrible patients. I learned I mean, a long time ago. <laughs> I learned a long time ago. You be nice to the nurse and you're good to go. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you're you, yeah. extra ice cream for me. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it's good. There's always a job, you know, nurses, but the industry, the healthcare is very stressful right now. I met a lot of traveling nurses. Um, that's that where the money's at. Mm-hmm. Mm. And they all Part live out of staff. RVs and some of them are horse people. And all they do is they find a barn wherever they go that they can ride at or take lessons or whatever. And they're living in their RVs and they're taking in the bank because they're getting paid a per diem. That's a lot more than they're paying for their campsite. You know, so yeah. If I was 20 years younger, I didn't have kids. (laughs) Those darn kids. It's hard to move (laughs) around with them. They want you to control that night. They expect you to keep showing up. (laughs) All right, let's go to the last question. Uh, And this is Elizabeth. So tell us what your topic is. Um, It it is more just curiosity. So um, I... I'm curious about why you can't have, why certain disciplines don't allow any sort of bitless uh, bridle or headstall tack. Um, I know show jumping and eventing do, but in dressage, you can't. And, uh, you know, I'm reading and reading and reading. And I understand that um, in the wrong hands, a hackamore can be, you know, incredibly uh, damaging to a horse. Uh, but so can a bit. <laughs> exactly. So that's why I was like, I've seen some just like, I, so I was looking up dressage legal bits and, you know, I've spent most of my life in a snaffle. And if you look at that picture that I put of me on my horse, who I jump and cross country, I'm trail riding her in a rope halter. Um, oh, yeah. because she's happy girl in a rope halter. She, we go through water, she can drink, she can eat. Um, and she's responsive in it. And I don't necessarily ever think I need to do dressage in it, but I, I have friends who are like, oh, yeah, we don't do eventing. You know, she just, she can't handle a bit. Um, and I, I do have a mare that's, she's a brood mare, but she's always been fussy around her mouth. And I got her mouth x-rayed and she had a um, remnant of a wolf tooth. And so we got it extracted mm-hmm. and uh, she's 14 now. And so while she's better, she just is unhappy about anything in her mouth. Um, and I think, well, how would I do dressage with her? Like, I don't know how I can get her to relax when for 14 years, having something on that part of her mouth has caused pain. Um, and so, you know, I'm just, what, what, what keeps, um, certain disciplines from like, why do they allow bits and shanks and curb chains, but not a rope halter or, um, a bitless bridle side pull, um, you know. I don't know. Julie, LA, any thoughts? Go Go LA. No, I was going to say, go ahead. I I was, I was just going to start with 
quoting the line from Fiddler on the Roof, tradition. <laughs> and and yes. that and that is is you know the recalcitrance of entrenched tradition is is my jumping off point with that. Julie? So this is a really intriguing topic for me because the breeds and disciplines that I have grown up with have never had a conversation about bitless bridles. I actually had to go like do some Google research. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about bitless bridles. And I'm really intrigued with this because I can see how a number of owners would say, this might be a good solution for the challenge that I'm facing with my horse. Yet some of the research comes back and says, well, you know, bitless bridles may have some challenges too. They might cause a little more um, constriction on the nose and those kind of, so I just read the research that was here and I'm like, mm, I don't know, but I totally agree with LA. I think it's just a matter of tradition and people not being open-minded about how bitless bridles could be applied because if you can use it and your horse is under control and you can, you know, do whatever you need to do with it, what difference does it make if it's a bitless bridle? You know, if you're getting the job done. I'm, I'm, going, I'm going to come out as a bitless bridle user literally my, my whole life. I had what was called in the 70s a jumping hackamore. And mm -hmm. darn it, I wish I, I still had that sweet piece of equipment. But I jumped, and, and it was 4-H. You know, it wasn't, wasn't uh, recognized shows. But uh, for 4-H and for local competitions, I jumped in that. Um, I haven't ridden with a bit in the last two years. Over the course of my career, I had the pleasure of meeting Dr. Cook, who ah, created yes. the original Bitless Bridle. And, and did a study. And he's, he's, he's a brilliant, brilliant man. Uh, I think he's a professor emeritus uh, at Tufts. And his, mm -hmm. uh, his, his expertise is in respiratory and anatomy of the equine face. And I'll say that I have always felt that I feel safer and have more leverage riding off the horse's face and from the pressure through the pole and both sides of the cheeks than just trying off the bottom of the jaw and, and, and the bars of the mouth. Yeah. I've never, I've never had difficulty. If anything, I've found that uh, if, if a horse like has spooked or if the, you know, be, recently bees came up underneath the uh, the horse and i think that he calmed down quicker because he didn't have to think about any panic on his mouth uh his his head and neck was still free uh i would even go back to say i've, I've watched uh uh sally uh not sally swift uh linda tellington jones mm. linda tellington jones when she takes the bridles off and puts the hula hoops around the neck and you see every horse relax and their top lines are beautiful. The riders, the riders are like, oh, oh, what am I going to hold on to? Oh my God, what happened to my bridle? The riders get tense and the horses relax. Uh, so I think bitless is just a matter of relentlessly uh, drumming at regulations and board members uh, to see that there's there's a demand for it. And, and as we go into more of a natural uh, horsemanship approach yeah. to how we work with uh, our animals, I think we use, um, we'll choose less steel to do it. 
Elizabeth, I think there's hope too, because look, we got helmets into dressage. International level Grand Prix dressage, we have and, helmets. Um, I mean, so helmets. Whoever in, thought that would happen? Helmets in bull riding and barrel racing and. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think tradition is the answer to that. And you know, it's funny because Julie, you brought up the you know the the problems that people have found with. Uh, Certain people argue about bitless bridles. Well, as you know, you're in a position where everything, I could argue the opposite of everything Uh in the horse world, right? Uh I mean, we could all argue both sides of every story. Um, But, you know, know, I've worked with the United States Equestrian Federation for years on a number of things. And so, Elizabeth, it's a matter of somebody putting in a rule change and letting it get out there and people start to digest it and process it and it may take a couple of years but you just have to to glenn's point you just have to kind of keep plugging at it i mean we yeah. got mules in for god's That's sake right. whoever thought that would happen hey, and, and recently <laughs> there was a change to the color of the coat you can wear right i mean right that's a big deal yeah <laughs> it is. yeah yeah do hunters allow bitless bridles i don't think so i don't but think I could, so i don't I, 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 don't know I wouldn't hurt, think but I don't so. Think so. I bet you by guess as they would. Uh, I mean, don't they need they need a standing martingale, right? Isn't that kind of part of the uniform? Yeah. I don't, I don't, know. I don't know anything about hunters. Ignore yeah. me. All right, ignore me too. Send <laughs> all hate mail mail to Jennifer at horseradio. At horseradionetwork.com. No, 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 That's no. correct. She gets all the hate mail. I don't know anything. <laughs> hey, Elizabeth. All right, guys. Uh, um. I'm a hardcore bit person until recently and I ride, I've ridden English and I rode with a friend who uh, she camps and she's a rope halter and does a lot of natural horsemanship. And um, my mare broke the reins. And so I put on the rope halter and I was like, wow, this is lovely. She's fine. Um, so I tend to trail ride in the rope halter just because I do think she should be able to eat and drink. That one trail ride we did at Fair Hill was almost four hours. Um, and we stopped for lunch and she's, she's fine. Like, I'm like, she's not going anywhere. Um, I ha- I don't, I don't event or jump or anything with it. Cause I just don't, it's cause I don't know it, you know, it's a, it's a tradition thing. I don't know what I don't know. Um, but I do love trail riding or even just, sorry about the cat. Okay. Well, um, who's the cat? You have to introduce <laughs> it. To make an appearance. You have to introduce Michael them. Manager says, that's right. Okay. Nope. That that's a rule. Josie. Where's my temptations? <laughs> she's got a lot. She's a cat dog. She thinks she's a dog. Um, no, but I like, I think everyone, I, I, I just, you know, my, I don't understand why you shouldn't be able to, they say they want to make it a level playing field, but we all know nothing's a level playing field in the horse world. And um, you know, what about drop nose bands and curb chains and uh, flashes and, and everything else? Like I, I don't know. I just don't buy the argument that a hackmore is that much more uh, harmful to a horse than any of the bits that we see in dressage. I mean, come on. Yeah. Well, we're going to leave it at that. We're going to let Elizabeth have her her, her be the final word on her own topic. I love that. <laughs> LA, where can people find you? Hey, people can find me on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and LinkedIn, L.A. Sokolowski. That'll get you started. All right. Or uh, uh, let me bring up your, uh, here we go. If you look up the original Equinista, it shows up. 
you show up (laughs) because you can't spell her last name nor can you say it so that's why she always goes by la because nobody knew how to say her name for the last 30 years (laughs) you notice i didn't say it at the beginning (laughs) you know when when i was little my mother taught me to sing it to pronounce it sokolovsky you know i don't yes yeah (laughs) all the years i've known you i've only known you as la you know, I never knew your last name, so there you go. <laughs> it, 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 you know, it works for Cher, so what the heck? Yeah, yeah and Madonna works for her, too. So, yeah, we'll go with L.A. We'll stick to that. And, Julie, remind everybody where they can find the council again. So the American Horse Council is www.horsecouncil.org, and I'm Jay Broadway at horsecouncil.org. Very good. And, Elizabeth, uh, you're on Facebook. I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm just me, and I lurk in the auditor room. Yes, and you will find her in the auditor room, and I'm sure a lot of the auditors be listening to this because they love to meet each other. And uh, auditors, as I mentioned, are super fans of the Horse Radio Network. Uh, they, they, there's some advantages to being an auditor. Uh, they get uh, they get prizes sometimes that other people don't get, but the big advantage is it's really become a community in the auditor Facebook group, which is a closed group. It's a very positive uh, place, and uh, like when we did our road show this year, we stayed at 14 auditor farms around the east coast and we're going to hopefully do the middle of the country next year but so thank you for being a listener and also for being an auditor elizabeth appreciate it thanks for having me and if you missed any part of tonight's show here live you can go to stablescoop.com that's where most people listen it'll be on the podcast app tomorrow this episode will show up we'll post links to everybody where where you can find them there as well uh, and if you would like to be a guest, if you would like to be sitting where Elizabeth is right now, or if you're an AHP member and want to be sitting where L.A. and Julie are, then you can contact me through the Horse Radio Network. Just send a message through horseradionetwork.com. We have 20 different shows over there that you can listen to. I host Horses in the Morning, and this show, uh, Horses in the Morning, is on five days a week. We have a little fun. It's basically morning drive radio for the horse world. Uh, it's silly, it's entertaining, and, and you might learn something along the way. But mostly it's just silly and entertaining. Uh, but if you want the serious shows, go over to horseradionetwork.com and you'll find the rest of them, including the podcast that LA talked about, the Plaid Horse Magazine. They do the podcast. Thank you, everybody, and happy scooping.